Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Hey, this is a wonderful church. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of brotherhood and sisterhood, and the Spirit is here, and it's been a pleasure for me to be able to bring God's Word and His message this morning. So I just want you to know that I feel at home, and I, I like the spirit that this church has in terms of we bless other churches. We believe in the kingdom of God and the whole church. So uh, let me begin in prayer, all right? Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. And uh, I would pray that I'd be moved out of the way and that the Holy Spirit would dominate me and everything I say would agree with the word and point to Jesus. And I pray that every person would be dominated by the Spirit and would hear exactly what you want them to hear, calibrated and tailored specifically for them since you have them here for a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. My last season of football was with the Seattle Seahawks and we were playing on Sunday night and uh, there was a lot of pressure in that game. There was a starting quarterback that had been hurt that was going to come off injured reserve pretty soon. I was the starter at the time. We had a couple number one draft pick quarterbacks behind me and it was really important that uh, we win this game. We'd won about three games with me as the starter. We'd lost two and we were playing the Raiders on Sunday night football, a nationally televised game. And it was going pretty well till the fourth quarter when we got cautious and conservative, trying not to lose our lead, which is a great way to lose your lead. And uh, they tied the game. It went into overtime, sudden death. And uh, I was on our 20-yard line and threw a pass. A friend of mine caught it. Problem was, he was on the other team. His name was Ronnie Lott. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a friend from the 49ers who was then playing for the Raiders that night. And on the very next play, they put the field goal team on the field and kicked a field goal and beat us in overtime. We lost. Two days later, the coach called me into his office and said, hey, Jeff, uh, sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. And so I went from starting quarterback in his 11th year in the league to no job, cut, out of the league. Anyone ever feel like they were cut? Benched? Sidelined, rejected, that's kind of a common experience because this is a fallen world and we are imperfect people and so are others. They sometimes do things to us that aren't good. Sometimes we do things to ourselves and to others that aren't good. But I want to share with you this morning that you are not defined by those moments, but those moments are opportunities for God to become more real to you than ever before, and then to use those moments to help you end up blessing other people because you're not here just as a consumer of life trying to get some blessings from God. You are here as a receiver from God of his great love and his wisdom and his power, and then you are an investor in other people. That's what we are, ambassadors for Jesus Christ who face blitzes. So... uh, After that evening, my wife uh, was kind of wanting to encourage her husband who had just lost her job. So she put the special plate at my spot at the table. It's a red plate that says, you are special. We say say nice things about the person whose birthday it is or who got an A on a a test or who just lost their job, (laughs) like me. And uh, so the boys went around. Stacy said something nice to me about me and my character and my faith. And the boys said, I love daddy because he plays with me. I love daddy because he's a good football player. Another guy elbowed him and said, be quiet. He just got cut. And uh, so that night, the prayer was said for dinner by Kyle, six years old, oldest son that we had at the time. He's now 32 and has a son named Jack, lives in New York City, works for an investment bank. But when he was six, he said the prayer. He said, dear God, thanks for the food. Thanks for daddy. Please give him a new team. I want him to be on the Eagles. Amen. And Stacy and I are looking at each other, scratching our heads. Where'd this come from? He doesn't even watch pro football. He doesn't even know that Philadelphia Eagles is a team, his soccer team. A bunch of six-year-olds, their name is Eagles. And he wants daddy to be on the same team. So I get a phone call the next day in God's amazing sovereignty and loving style of answering the prayers of children. And it's from the Philadelphia Eagles general manager. And I had no clue they needed a quarterback. But he said, Jeff, Randall Cunningham, our starting quarterback, broke his leg. And Jim McMahon, he just sprained his ponytail. How soon, how, how soon can you get out here? And so they signed me, and I went to the Eagles. And four weeks later, after relearning a whole new system, I found myself playing in the house of pain. Jim McMahon was the starting quarterback that night, and he got pounded by the Oilers' defense in Houston. 
And our defense, Reggie White, was pounding Warren Moon, their quarterback. And the score was 6-3. to three. They were winning. It wasn't going well for us Eagles. We just could not move the ball. We had no time to get back there and pass the ball. We kept getting hit. And McMahon got knocked out of the game, even though he's super tough. So now uh, the new guy on the Eagles had the chance to come in and get pounded by their defense. And it was third down, eight yards to go. The ball's on the 20-yard line, red zone. Finally, we might get the ball in the end zone. The coaches got a little bit greedy, and they called a seven-step drop, nine-yard deep, slow-developing play where the quarterback has to go way back, wait in the pocket for the tight end to run a corner out. Well, some of you guys can't keep up with me on this play, but a lot of the women are tracking right with me. All right, so... This play, I'm at the line of scrimmage, and I'm going 425, 425, calling the signals, and I'm thinking, there's no way this is going to work. <laughs> I don't have time for, to drop back three steps, much less drop back seven steps and wait for Keith to get open on the corner out. Now, that is not the Tony Robbins power of positive thinking attitude that you're supposed to have at the line of scrimmage on Monday Night Football playing in the House of Pain, which is what they call the Houston Oilers Stadium. But then I realized it isn't just four linemen coming at me, but two linebackers have beady eyes and they're kind of frothing at the mouth and they're on their tiptoes and they're getting ready to come. And the free safety who starts 15 yards deep at the five-yard line covering the middle of the field's pass plays is coming like a snake in the grass up through the linebackers. And by the time I snap the ball, he's running full speed at me. And I went to Dartmouth College so I can figure this out. This is a blitz. A blitz is when the defense throws far more people at you than you can handle. They're trying to sh surprise, shock, injure, damage, create fumbles, interceptions, and mayhem. But I know in the next couple seconds, something either really, really bad or really, really good is about to happen. Because blitzes, like crises in life, trials and tribulations and suffering and surprises and lost jobs, cancer diagnosis a son with a drug addiction who has to go into rehab. Blitzes are also opportunity. They are not just danger. They may be the moment where someone finally turns to Jesus Christ. They may be the pathway that leads to salvation. Your earthly circumstances may stink, but your eternal circumstance may become beautiful. And maybe God's going to do something to conform your character to the character of Jesus Christ who learned obedience through suffering. And if Jesus had to suffer, then we do too. And if we suffer like Jesus, we grow to be like Jesus. And if we grow to be like Jesus, we're a much better husband, much better wife, much better son, much better, much better employee, much better employer. So blitzes have purpose if we turn to God and we handle the blitz his way. You curious about what happened on that play? Oh, yeah, let's go back to it. So in football, the coaches train us to be ready for blitzes and to prepare. And we, we do it in practice, and we watch it on film. And what happens is all the players change what they were going to do, and they adapt, and they adjust, and they make these significant sacrifices so that they can help the teammates to seize the opportunity. So running backs dive in front of linebackers and sacrifice themselves. Linemen block and get hit in the head, but they're tough and they hold their spot. The tight end changes his corner route to a quick post route to the spot vacated by the free safety because there's no one covering deep anymore in the end zone. And the quarterback can't go seven steps. He's got to go five quick steps, plant, and look to get rid of the ball because there's a total eclipse. The free safety's in my face. What am I going to do? I'm going to stand there and throw the ball to the spot where I expect the tight end to be, even though I don't see him. Because Helen Keller said, and you didn't know Helen Keller fits in pro football stories, she was on a college campus, and they asked her one time, what is worse than being blind? And she said, oh, it would be so much worse to have your eyesight but lack vision. I had a vision of where the tight end would be, and I threw the ball to that spot. We are here in church today because we have a vision given to us by the Holy Spirit that life is more than 70 or 80 years. That riches is more than money. That fun is more than a weekend thrill. Joy is based in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you are not just a body with a soul, but you are a soul with a body, to quote C.S. Lewis. And you will be living for eternity. And there is a purpose for your life to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ and represent him to the people that don't know he loves them and who don't get treated well and who are the bullied in school and also the bullies in school and the mean person and the lonely person. You are the ambassador to bring God's love to them. 
That's the vision for what your life's all about. And so I had a vision where to throw the ball. I planted my foot. I threw the ball. I got hit in the face. I rolled that guy off me on the ground. And we both waited to hear if it was going to be really noisy, good for the hometown Oilers, or quiet, good for the visiting Eagles. And sure enough, Keith Jackson changed. Running backs changed. I changed. Keith caught the ball, scored the only touchdown of the game, and we won 13-6 to because the blitz turned into a blessing. The trial turned into a triumph. The trouble turned into a touchdown in a matter of seconds. But your blitzes don't turn around that quick, do they? It's not 3.2 seconds for getting through a cancer diagnosis or a marital challenge or the loss of a pregnancy or even harder, the loss of a child or a divorce, the loss of a business, bankruptcy, another illness. Those things may take a while, but God has a purpose and a plan to turn bad things to good things because God is a God of turnarounds. And Jesus himself, who you would expect would not have to deal with blitzes, in fact, the very method of your salvation and our victory is Jesus took a blitz on the cross. He was supposed to be the king, thought all of his followers. He turned out to be the sacrificial lamb. And one Sunday he was the hero. And by the next Friday they were saying crucify him. And they beat him up. They falsely accused him. They convicted him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped all the flesh off his back. And then they sent him to the cross. And he did it all on purpose. Because he prayed the night before, Father, I'd rather not go to the cross. I'd rather not be crucified. I'd rather not bear the sin of the world and be separated from you. But not my will, thy will be done. And Jesus took a blitz and went in the grave. And everyone thought it was over and that we'd lost. But he was risen from the dead. He's alive today. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in you and me. And that very role model of Jesus taking a blitz is the way you and I are to live in a fallen world where Satan tried to mess it up through pride and rebellion from God and Adam and Eve listened to the lie that God's holding out on you, that life your way will be a little bit better than his way and you ought to be not so much just doing it his way but try it your way. And that pride made you and me rebellious people who think that we can kind of do it ourselves. And even us church going Thursday or Wednesday and Sunday church folks, we still take too much control, don't we? We still have too much pride. We still forget how much he loves us. Sometimes we forget that his life that he gives is better than the life that we want to give ourselves. And then finally we come crawling back to him and ask for forgiveness and help. But then we get our life going okay and we forget a little bit about him again. We need to turn to Christ because he's the benevolent good God who turns bad things to good. And in this fallen world that Satan messed up and Adam and Eve and you and I participated in, there will be bad stuff. To quote Jesus, in this world, you will be blitzed. But don't panic, I overcame the blitz. Oh, you don't have the NFL version of the Bible? Let's look at John 16.33. Scriptures say, I've told you these things, Jesus said, so that in me, you may have peace. The world's dying for that. In this world, you will have trouble, trouble, trials, difficulties, and blitzes. And the Apostle Paul knew about blitzes too. Romans chapter 5, he wrote down that we not only rejoice in eternal life and forgiveness and peace and the hope of the glory of God, we also rejoice in blitzes. Because blitzes bring about, well, let's go back to his verse. We rejoice in our tribulations and our trials and our difficulties and our sufferings, our blitzes, because we know that suffering brings about perseverance in our faith towards Jesus. And perseverance in our faith brings about proven character. Who is the most proven character in all of history? Jesus. He was the most humble, the most true, the most pure, the most courageous, the most compassionate, the most sacrificial, the most loving. And we will prove character like that if we will persevere in faith to Jesus. And then we get proven character like him. And then with proven character, it brings us hope in heaven because our eyes are set on heaven, not on earth. And that hope will not disappoint because when your life stinks and your circumstances are messed up, but you turn to Jesus and get on your knees and say, God, I can't make it. I don't know how to handle this cancer. I do not handle this divorce. I'm not happy that my son is struggling right now. I'm not happy about the problems we're having. 
but I am thankful that I have your love. I'm going to heaven. I'm forgiven of my sins. I have hope that transcends everything, and you must have some purpose for me in this trial. So thank you, thank you, thank you that you love me. Because when your life was going really well, and you were driving that Mercedes on that vacation in Hawaii, I know some of you didn't get to do that, but life was really nice and circumstances were good, you weren't paying attention to God. You weren't saying thank you for salvation. You weren't on your knees saying, oh my gosh, he took that cross for me. You weren't celebrating the eternal life you had because you were excited about that weekend of parties. So when life is tough and we turn to Jesus, we have more love. Think of the 1700s, the 1600s, when human beings made in the image of God, beautiful, wonderful people, connected in their families, married with kids, were captured, sold, put in ships, down in the hold of the ship, transported to America, 40 to 50% of them dying, and they sang worship songs to heaven about swinging low, sweet chariot, coming for to tear, carry me home. Where? To heaven. Because they were eternal children of the king who had saved them, and they had the worst circumstances ever, but they praised God and they felt his love. We whine about our little problems and don't celebrate our huge gift of God's love. Now, if you want to celebrate your blitzes and have the attitude of Jesus who knows how to overcome them, you got to have a true celebration of the bigger thing than the blitz, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of uh, Romans chapter 5. See what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God, which the world is dying for peace. We've got it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith, not by works, not by anything we did, not by our religiosity, not by just showing up at church, not because we wear a coat and tie, not because we tithe, not because we don't sin. No, it's because we accept Jesus Christ. We confess him with our tongue. We believe he was raised from the dead. and We let go of control of our life. And we said, Jesus, come in, run it your way. Do we do that perfectly? No, because we're fallen. But we give him control. That's salvation. If you do that, you're a Christian. If you show up in church, you're not necessarily. Just like if you show up in a garage, you're not a car automatically. It's Jesus in us by faith that makes us a believer. And then... Stand up, you guys. Every one of us, stand up for a second. Into this grace in which we stand. You got a right foot, plant it firm. You got a left foot, plant it firm. You are standing in grace. You cannot do anything bad enough to make God not love you. And you cannot do anything good enough to make him love you anymore. But out of gratitude for the grace that he's shown us and, and, and thankfulness for the love that he's demonstrated in our lives, we then want to live the way he wants, which is way better than the way we wanted to live before that. And then we end up blessing others and having blessings in return. So it all happens as a gift of grace. So we will behave better, not to earn his love, but because we already got his love. He loved us, which then transforms us. We don't have to change ourselves to get his love. But a lot of us, we aren't accepting all of his love. We're not standing as firmly in grace as we should, which is why we need to stay in the word of God. We need to stay in fellowship. We need to praise God every day. We need to concentrate on Jesus and not our circumstances. Have a seat and keep enjoying the fact that you are loved like crazy and it's based in faith. Anyone here ever win a Super Bowl? Me either. <laughs> but if I did, like the Philadelphia Eagles, I would be rejoicing like crazy. If there were six feet of potential rejoicing in me, I'd be rejoicing six feet worth probably. Anyone ever have a grandson or granddaughter born to them? Did you feel crazy, happy, giddy, euphoric over that? Oh my gosh. You'd probably, if there was a possibility of six feet of celebration, if you're a six foot tall person, you'd be up to the top of that celebration meter, wouldn't you? But if you think about Tuesday at 3.30 in the afternoon at work when your boss just said something nasty to you and said this job requires you to work extra hours the rest of this week, or you think about Friday where your husband said something mean to you and was sarcastic and belittled you, or something that happens on Thursday where you find out from the doctor that the report is not what you wanted and it's much more negative than you expected, are you in that moment celebrating six feet tall or five foot eight or six foot two, whatever you are, 
of joy that Jesus loved you, died on the cross for you, saved you of your sins, has taken you to heaven, has filled you with his spirit, has called you his beloved daughter, called you his beloved son, and put you on mission full of his love. Are you celebrating that or are you still kind of whining about circumstances? Because unless you celebrate him that much every day, all day long, we're not going to celebrate when the blitz comes. It's going to be like, oh, I, don't, I didn't want that. Why is this happening to me? We don't celebrate the cancer. We celebrate the opportunity to prove our faith is greater than circumstances. That's what it's about. In uh, the next season of football, 92, I went to training camp with the Eagles. I signed a good contract because I'd helped them a lot. And uh, I thought I'd have a great season. But I was the last player cut at the end of the summer. And I flew home to Seattle. And I was praying a prayer, which is the second best prayer you can pray. Uh, Dear God, please fix my circumstances. I want a job. I want a team to have me play, call me up. And four weeks went by, and no team called me. By the way, what's the best prayer you can pray? Not God fix my circumstances, but God fix what? Me. Change me so I can accept your love, reflect your love, and handle any circumstance in a way that glorifies you and blesses the people around me. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And Jesus made me to be about others. So I'm asking this prayer, the second best one, God, give me a new team, and it doesn't happen. Four weeks in a row. Finally, the Seahawks, my hometown where we live, their quarterback got hurt. I called the coach. I said, I'm in town. I'm in shape. I'm ready. Please sign me. He called, left a message on my voicemail, said, sorry, Jeff, we're going to sign a guy from the World League. Good luck. Click. And my heart fell out. And even though I was the Bible study leader and mature from my 11 years of being discipled in Jesus since I gave my life to him in my rookie year of football, I went out to the front door of my house and I slammed it. And I sat down in my nice neighborhood four-bedroom home with a nice sport court in the backyard and a half acre of grass and a great wife and three kids and 11 years of football as a free agent in the NFL that never should have made it in the first place. And I said, God, this stinks. I didn't say that word. I said something more honest. And I'm not going to pray to you. I'm just going to sit here and feel this stinking pain. And so I went into this big pity party for myself about it shouldn't end like this. And as I was pitying myself, not celebrating my blitz, my teammate came out. And it wasn't a football player. It was the greatest teammate I have. It was Stacy Kemp. Stacy Parker Kemp, who I married in 1983, who loves Jesus Christ, who digs into the Bible every day, who mentors young women, who raised our boys fabulously well with me, and who is an awesome woman, imperfect though she is. She's a Jesus follower. She walked out and said, oh, Jeff, I can't imagine how much this hurts. She wanted to encourage me. We've been through some tough stuff, Jeff, but every time we've been through something tough, God's been there. He's showed himself faithful. He always has a purpose and a plan. And I looked up and I said, I know that. I just can't believe it's finishing like this. I just want to finish with some dignity. And then Stacy realized that her love needed to be a little tougher than just that soft encouragement stuff. So she said, as I recall, when Jesus left this world, he didn't receive any dignity. Maybe you need to let go of that desire. And I, in my Christian mature husband mode, looked up at her and said, maybe you need to go inside. (laughs) And she stepped inside, and this moment of losing my career and some of the identity that I had falsely wrapped up in my career, man, any of you have that problem? You are not what you do, ladies. You are not what you do, men. We men have a big problem with this particularly. You are who God made you to be, who he says you are, and who Jesus saved you to be on mission for him. You are what he says about you, not the stuff you do. And my worst moment of losing my career converted to my best moment in a matter of seconds because I started thinking about Jesus and the indignity he went through. And I started to think about the whole cross and the scourging and the the beating and, and the sacrifice and the sin that he took upon himself for the whole world, but also all of my sin because he loved me. And that I'm free and I have peace with God. And the gospel flooded me and I started to cry tears of joy. And I said, what an idiot I am to be whining about one more year of football when I have Jesus, salvation, amazing life, an amazing wife. Except for what she just said to me. And then I heard this word. When I started to praise Jesus and thank Jesus and feel love from Jesus and love him back, I heard this message 
Forget what lies behind. Press on to what lies ahead. I wasn't reading the Bible. I hadn't been in the book of Philippians for quite a while. That was God's word, God's spirit speaking to me. Football was nice, but it is not your identity. Your circumstances are not you. You are not disqualified by the sin of your past and the sins of others. Your dad or your mom, that person who sexually or physically or verbally abused you, that does not define you. You are not junk. You are not disqualified. You are God's son or daughter, and he defines you by his love on the cross, his resurrection, and the fact that he said, I'm going away, and I'm going to do something great. Send the Holy Spirit to be in every single believer all over the globe at the exact same time, which was better than having Jesus only in one spot at a time. Now, I can't wait to see him for real, right? When we're with him, that's going to be wild. But in a sense, I see him when I see you love your wife and I see you apologize to someone and you stand up against a bully in high school and you say, pornography is wrong. I used to have a problem with it. I'm against it. It uses a woman's body. It makes me a consumer. It doesn't help me love my wife. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to tell other men about it. Now I'm going to fight against it. I'm going to stand up and protect women and say they are not property. They are not an object. They are not just sex. They are God's daughters. And we men need to be pure and say no to that stuff. And we women need to say be pure and say no to that stuff because the real thing is way much more than the counter. Way much, shoot me, I'm trying to talk. The real thing is worth way much more than the counterfeit. Satan is a counterfeiter. And he's got Madison Avenue and the internet and your iPhone working for him. But God is an authentic, loving God who loves relationships and his pinnacle relationship is marriage. And the blitz on marriage is big these days. So on that porch, when I was being blitzed, whining in my pity party, but my teammate came out, which is a signal of how to face the blitz. Do not isolate everyone. When your life gets bad and you did something wrong or you're embarrassed or you get cut, you get benched, you get fired, you got a disease, you got a porn problem, you did something unfaithful, you did something wrong in your taxes, you got caught... Do not isolate and run away from other people at that time. That's when to run to the Christians. That's when to come to the pastor. That's when to get into the elder's office and say, please pray for me. That's when to find a best friend and say, dude, I need to meet with another man every single week. And you're my friend. Let's meet every week. Let's talk about what's going on in life. Let's put our prayer requests on the table. Let's confess the risk area and the temptation that we've been facing with lust or whatever it is. Let's tell each other what we're struggling with and we will be stronger because of it. Because when you admit you are weak, who becomes strong? Jesus, in my weakness, he is strong. So do not hide your faults. Do not hide your failings. Do not hide the blitzes against you. Put them on the table with a sister if you're a woman, with a brother if you're a man. Every man in this room should meet with another man every single week. And it's not just accountability and, and, oh, did you do the right thing? And did you read this Bible verse? It's friendship. It's fun. I got two brothers, Pete and Greg. We get together every week and we text each other and talk on the phone when we're not together in the weeks where one of us is traveling and we confess our sin one to another. We confess our temptation one to another. We give our goals and what we're aiming at and we ask each other to pray for one another. We pray for our kids. We pray for our marriages. We lift each other up. It's fun and it's also safe. And that's how I face my blitzes with a team. My first teammate is Stacy and my other teammates are Greg and Pete. Do you have a Greg and Pete, a woman named Susan? Do you have a, a Sally and a, a Jean? Do you women have closest friends who you don't gossip with and just talk about the yuckiness stuff, but you say, this is what I'm facing. I need some prayer. I've been tempted to get a little bit angry and, and whine lately, but I'd really like to change. How about you? What are you going through? We all need those friendships. We men tend not to do it. I'm giving you permission, and this pastor dude right here, Larry, macho, steadily, great guy, He's saying you got permission to have friends, man. In fact, you're a nut and you're dumb if you don't have friends. So get them. You young, good, well-dressed, well studly guys, make sure you got friends. And you older guys that are getting a little pudgy and don't look quite as cool as this young dude, make sure you got friends. And be a friend to have friends. And get together and make a regular time every week. We meet on Mondays at 12 noon for lunch. And we switch it to different days if we have to so we can be together. Bobby, if you and I lived in the same city, we'd do this because you do this with other men. That's the type of man you are. You are always helping other men, and you're willing to accept help from other men, which makes you a strong man who invests in others, first your marriage, then your kids, and then other men, and that changes the world. That's what it's all about. Not just having a comfortable little life with no blitzes. Sorry, Jesus said you're going to get blitzed, so get ready. 
and let's handle our blitzes like him. How did he handle it? Three things, a long-term view, a willingness to change, and a focus on others. A long-term view, remember, for the joy set before him in heaven, Jesus endured the cross. Single mom named Rita, husband leaves her, never wanted to get divorced, Catholic gal that totally believes in, in God and totally believes in marriage, and she loves marriage, and she uh, is raising her son. He has a broken arm at the beginning of baseball season. It's in a cast, and he's going to quit the team. Mom, I can't play, so I'm going to quit. She goes, no, no, I've seen some characteristics in you at school and in sports of commitment. You are such a great kid. I think this is an opportunity. If you go to all the practices and all the games and you encourage everyone and you're the biggest cheerleader, you're the biggest motivator on the team, you'll be demonstrating that amazing characteristic of your commitment, which will someday make you a great husband and a fabulous daddy. And that single mom just preached a marriage message way better than any marriage teacher I've ever heard out of her blitz of divorce and her son's blitz of a broken arm, she spoke character and vision and future behavior into her son that someday he'd be a great husband and daddy because of commitment. Do you see how you use blitzes? But her eyes weren't on herself. She had a long-term view. And Jesus on the cross had a long-term view, but he also was willing to change. Remember, he left heaven, was willing to be born as a baby and then have this humble life and then get on the cross. I think Jesus was quite humble and adaptable to someone's will other than his own. Not mine, but yours be done. He was willing to change. The question for you and me is, are you going to stay the same and hope God fixes your circumstances? Are you going to stay the same, Mr. Husband, and expect your wife to keep changing and make the marriage easy? Are you going to stay the same teenage kid who's dabbling with a little bit of partying and a little bit of sex and looking at some porn and trying to get more activity from the opposite sex than you have been? Are you going to change person who is losing his temper and saying negative things to his wife and to the people at work? Or are you going to just stay the same and say, God, make life better? Because the key to facing blitzes is, you know what? I'm not doing my life so well. And I can't run it on my own. And I need you, Jesus. And I want to change. I want to start being a listener and humble. And I want to be pure. I don't want to go after counterfeit sex. I don't want to go after a bottle or a smoke. When I feel stressed, I want to go after Jesus. And I want to learn how to handle things in the character of Jesus. I want to be changed. I want to be a listener. I want to be a lover. I want to be a reconciler. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better ex-husband or a better ex-wife, better mommy or daddy or grandma or grandpa or boss or employee. And the way to change is by going to Jesus. A man came home one night, a man that was committed to his job worked hard for the family, supported them, and had bought a nice house. He committed to his kids, coached the team of his little league son, led the Boy Scout troop for his other son. But he came home and found his wife in an affair with his best friend. And it was shock, and it was horror, and it was terrible, and it was a blitz. But the man did something the world would never endorse. He didn't point the finger he didn't yell and scream. He didn't attack and he didn't go to the lawyer. He pulled away and he asked himself the question, what have I not been doing or what have I been doing that let my wife fall out of love with me? And he concluded that he was so busy with good things, the family and the job, that he wasn't paying attention to the best thing, his wife. Now we all know Jesus is the best thing, but after that, you got to love your spouse, even before your kids and definitely before your job. And he, as a man, initiated a change in himself by looking at the log in his eye rather than the log in hers. And truly, it wasn't a speck in this case, was it? But there is never an excuse for an affair. There's never an excuse for infidelity. There's never an excuse for abuse or us retaliating. Those things happen, and God forgives. But we have to look at ourselves. And this man didn't excuse her sin, nor did he attack her sin. He just simply pointed the finger at himself and came and said, I want to apologize he told his wife, I've been too busy with my job and the kids and I haven't been paying attention to you for years. 
and, and I'd like to ask your forgiveness. And she cried, melted, apologized for her sin, asked to go to counseling. They reconciled their marriage and built a better marriage after the affair than they had before the affair because God is way bigger than sexual infidelity and he's way bigger than an affair and he's way bigger than a sin and he's way bigger than some cuss words or some porn or something stupid you did, God can use the bad, forgive you of the sin if you'll look at yourself, not the other person, not say, I did this because they messed up. I did this because he's not loving me. I did this because he's not respectable man. I did this because she's not the same woman she used to be. She complains too much now. All of that is a smokescreen. The issue is the only person we can change is us. And we can't change us by ourselves. We do it by taking our hands off the steering wheel of our life and our foot off the brake and our other foot off the gas pedal. And we say, okay, God, you can have it. You ever been to Disneyland where they got those little cars? And when you let go of the wheel, the kids are always driving and thinking they're doing great, but there's a track in the middle. No matter what, you can't go off track. That's God. God needs to be our track and we need to let go of control and say, God, change me. I'm going to get back in the Word, back in a small group, back into Bible study. I'm going to get a mentor. I'm going to stop holding that person at arm's length who really wants to help me grow, and I'm going to surrender. My money's going to start belonging to God. My brain's going to belong to God. My eyes are going to belong to God. My marriage is going to belong to God. My kids are going to belong to God. Their little league and their grades and the college they get into will not matter to me as much anymore when I was living vicariously through them as a consumer What will matter more is do I love them on behalf of Jesus? And do I let them know that they're valued and esteemed? And do I plant the vision of good relationships in them the way that mom did who said, you're a committed young man and you'll be a great husband someday. We have to change in our blitzes like that husband. And finally, like Jesus, we need to focus on blessing others. The passage for blessing others is Philippians chapter 2. It starts with humility like Jesus. Jesus is the role model. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, in our relationships with one another, you need to have the same mindset and the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Was his attitude pride or humility? It was humility. Was it to be served or to serve? To serve. Was it about self or was it about the Father and loving us? It was about the Father and loving us. That's the man who set the role model and also gives you the power to do what he asked you to do that Paul wrote about in the two verses before this, which are the investor blueprint Bible verse. Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility values others above yourself. And don't just look out for your own interests, but each of you should look out to the interests of others. Pastor Larry, send me a pass here real quick. Nice pass. Well done. It wasn't that good. Come on, calm down. No, it was very good. I need to be very kind. Here's a paradigm. Here's a word picture. If Jesus was around today, he'd definitely be way better than me at everything. But he'd probably use metaphors from football. And he would tell you that in training camp in the summer that Russell Wilson... And Matt Ryan and uh, Nick Foles and the great quarterback that got hurt this year that he replaced, Carson Wentz, are taught that their job is to throw the football to a wide receiver in a one-foot diameter of accuracy, this small of a target. Not a hula hoop, not a basketball rim, but a paint bucket. One-foot diameter of accuracy. Don't throw it low, don't throw it high, don't throw it behind him, and don't throw it ahead of him. Your job, quarterback, is to stand in the pocket, get hit in the jaw, sacrifice yourself, and become so good at accuracy that you throw the ball to a one-foot diameter of accuracy to make it easy for the receiver to catch, protect his body, and help him get first downs and touchdowns. You're an investor in the receiver's success. Do you get that investor model? And the wide receiver is in a separate meeting room in the summer, and they're teaching him, if you can touch the ball high, low, Wherever it is, you got to what? Catch it. If you can touch it, you must catch it. You need to make the quarterback's job easy. You need to serve him. You need to invest in him. You need to make the sacrifice of those offensive linemen that are getting no credit on the stat sheet. You need to make their sacrifice of blocking pay off by being an investor in the quarterback. What if the wide receiver, though, acted like a consumer who thought it's all about him and he deserves special passes 
And he goes across the middle on third down and eight, and the ball's thrown behind him, and he thinks, ooh, that safety's going to hit me from there, and this safety's going to hit me from there. If I slow down, I'll get squashed. I don't want a bad pass. I'm going to wait for a good one like I deserve right here. No catch, no first down, no touchdown, no win, no playoffs, no Super Bowl. Everyone loses because you converted an investor into a consumer, and the asset value of the team just drained to zero. I'm not talking about football. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about how do we treat other people as a consumer who wants to take or an investor who gives. And if you say, but I don't have enough to give. They're hard to love. They're hard to respect. They're very frustrating. They're mean. They're critical. You're right. They're imperfect. And so are you. And you don't have enough. And so where you get enough is from Jesus. And that's why we need to be abiding in the vine of Jesus Christ. And our relationship with Christ is so big that we love and we forgive and we apologize, not because other people deserve it, but because God forgave us. And Jesus has enough love to fill you up, single person, that you do not need another person to be whole. You do not need to be desperate to find a guy. You do not need to be a consumer to find a girl to validate you. Husband, you don't need your wife to do everything you want whenever you want and then you complain about it or get mad if she doesn't. You are not a consumer of her and if you are, your marriage will go downhill and you're a small-minded little boy consumer. And I can say that in a direct and mean way to you because I've been one. I've been selfish. I've been a whiner. I've been critical at times. I've thought way more about what I want than what she deserves or what she needs. And of course, we can flip that equation to wives who act like consumers from their husband. And frankly, they try to consume from their kids. They get all their joy and happiness from the kids and not paying attention to the husband anymore. They're not investing in him. I'm not stepping on any toes. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. All of us are imperfect, selfish people. We act like consumers. But guess what? If you accept the love of Jesus and every day say, God, let me not be a consumer, but turn me back into an investor through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of this word and the fellowship of my small group and a reminder like my buddy Mike had a sign in his bathroom that reminded him every day not to be a consumer in his marriage, but to be an investor. It said, he wrote it himself and he taped it on the mirror. It says, would I want to be married to me? And the question made him think like an investor in terms of what experience is she getting out of this marriage? And I like to think when I go home from a trip, how will I make sure that I'm thinking more about what I will give to her and what she needs from me than what I want from her? I need to be an investor, not a consumer. So maybe you need to make up a little sign, come up with a little switch, come up with some trigger that reminds you to be an investor in relationships, not a consumer. Well, we're not able to do any of this stuff on our own, so I want to wrap it up by going to the source. And the source is Jesus Christ. Paul said, I can handle all things and do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. And Jesus said, in John 15, 5 is where it's recorded. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that branch won't do very well if it's not connected to me in oneness. But if you connect to me, and you abide in me, and you celebrate me, you rejoice in me, you're pumped about me. You sing songs about me. You read the Bible about me. You talk to your kids at the dinner table about me. You, you make everything about me, and I'm your biggest joy. Then you're abiding in me, you're living in me, and you're going to bear much fruit. Kindness, generosity, apologies, forgiveness, winsomeness, and your marriages will get stronger and your parenting will get better, and your single life will be pure, and you will be not needing other people, but you will be blessing other people as an investor, and you'll become way more attractive to the right person because of being an investor person who's filled up with God because you're abiding in Christ. So probably the end of this message, the thing to take away, yeah, remember the message about blitzes, that there are opportunities to get closer to Jesus and then comfort others with the comfort that he comforts us with. People with cancer end up comforting others with cancer. People that have been through divorce comfort others who've been through divorce. People who lost their job, people who got cut in the NFL, people who got booed know how to comfort others who felt like they were sidelined and rejected. 
But my life isn't about getting away from my problems and having a perfect life. My life is about taking my problems and my story and my blitzes, my imperfection and my sin and my need for Jesus and then the way he's changed me and forgiven me and filled me and taking that to go bless others and lift them up and encourage them and invest in them. My wife first, my kids second, and then some dude who doesn't have a dad third because we men need to mentor and father the boys and the men who didn't get it. And we need to teach the young women who don't have a daddy or a mommy to build them up and say they're precious. Let them know they're precious inside. Their character is their identity. Their body is not. Their treasure is designed by God. So the quality of your relationship with Christ is what will let you face your blitzes and bless others. And I'd like to pray a prayer of inviting people to give their life to Christ if they've never truly taken their hands off the wheel and signed over the deed of ownership and their feet off the pedals and said, God, you run my life. I need forgiveness of sin. I want to go to heaven and I'm going to stop running my life because I stink at it and you're better. And the prayer for any of the rest of us is that we would truly surrender fully to Christ and be so excited by Jesus that we're abiding in him and then we can use our blitzes to bless others. So let's pray. Father God, um, for the person who maybe has never accepted Christ, they believed in Christ, they went to church, um, maybe they think they're a Christian, but they're realizing today that they never invited you into their life to be the Lord, and they never gave you ownership of their life, and therefore they're not feeling your freedom and your power and your joy and your control and your forgiveness because they've never surrendered. May that person pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I have gone my own way and that I... I mess up and I can't find my way to heaven on my own. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus who died on the cross and forgave my sin. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and change me to be who you want me to be. And those of us who know Jesus are praying right now, Lord, forgive me for taking too much control of my life, defining myself by my circumstances, complaining sometimes, and not abiding in you, the vine. Help me give you full surrender and full control of my life. You have ownership of me. You'll do a better job running me than me. I want to follow you, serve you, invest in others, and face blitzes with your joy so that I can help others find eternal joy in a relationship with Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. we got a great way to finish the service. Men... Come down here and huddle up with me. We're going to put our arms around each other and have a man huddle. You women can enjoy it. Encourage these guys. There's a bunch of studs in this church. Some of them don't know they're studs, and we want to remind them they are God's men. They're his sons. They're good dudes. Pack it in right here. Put your arms around each other. Huddle up. It's going to get really tight. It's going to get real tight, and that's good. If you think an NFL huddle is good, this is better because you guys are dressed up and you got deodorant on. Pastor Larry, join me up here. Bobby. I was coaching Little League, Little League football, and this one little heavyset kid who I really loved and wasn't the best player on our team, but he had a great attitude. This dude drove up in a car and wouldn't even walk onto the field, and he yelled out, hey, doofus, get over here. I wanted to go up and punch the man in the mouth. I didn't do that. I just doubled down on loving that boy and told all the coaches, let's love this boy and tell him he's a stud. We're proud of him. He's an awesome part of the team. He's got what it takes. He's got the, me the measure of a man. And we just kept loving him. But some of you guys have heard, hey, doofus, from your dad, from other men, from the culture, from a woman. But what you really need to hear is who you are, what your name is in Jesus Christ, what the Father in heaven says about you. And my friend Don, a construction company owner had a guy that was all tatted up, alcohol drinker, brawler and cusser, but a great carpenter. And Don made him a foreman of a job and he built a million dollar house. And when he finished the house, Don and surveyed the house with him. And then he looked at Chuck, shook his hand, said, Chuck, good job. But what I really want to tell you, Chuck, is you're a good man. And Chuck started to bawl. Six foot three, 230 pounds, started to ball because no dad, no grandpa, no mentor, no man had ever called him into the company of men and said, you are a good man. You have what it takes. I love you. And not only that, I like you. And God Almighty in heaven says this to all of us who've accepted Jesus Christ. And if there's a guy here who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ, we are praying you will 
as soon as possible so that this is true of you, that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for you and me so that you could become the righteousness of God. What that means is God took the perfection of Jesus and he credited it to you and 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 to me and to those guys who are imperfect guys but who have Jesus and to you. And the father now says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because I see the version of you in heaven and I'm giving you credit for that right now. So let, let go of your attitude about yourself. Let go of those bad things you've done. Don't listen to the enemy shame you. If your daddy didn't father you well, you're being fathered by the eternal father and get around these men every week, hang out with them and you'll get manhood in the company of other men. But right now we're putting our hands over you and we're saying to you, you are God's son in whom he's well pleased and he's given you a job description as an ambassador for Christ, a minister of reconciliation, a man who shall love his wife and if he's single, he will love Jesus so much, he's a courageous, pure man that is worth marrying someday and you will steward a wife and invest in a wife, not consume a girlfriend or consume a woman or consume a wife. You are good men and we're changing today and we're gonna be who God calls us. So in the name of God, you are his beloved sons, mighty men of valor, ambassadors for Christ. Go out and invest in Christ and handle your blitzes for his glory and never stop having friends and hanging out as brothers. Hebrews 10, 24 says, continue to spur each other on to love and good deeds and studly masculinity that serves and loves and is humble and apologizes and forgives and admits his weaknesses because he's already forgiven by God. And don't forget to meet together with your brothers as is the habit of some people, but get together with your brothers every single week, not just at church, but over coffee. When you're hunting, say a prayer, ask the guy about life and build brotherhood to grow in Christ. God loves you, the Father loves you, and more than that, he likes you guys. Go love your wives and be a man worthy of a great wife in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless you guys. Amen. amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.